0: Pod, 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 pod. Rugby pod.
1: Hello and welcome along to the Rugby Pod, brought to you as usual by our good friends at Guinness. Andy Ray's away this week because uh, not a lot going on in rugby this week as there needs a holiday, so he's in Barcelona.
0: He says he works too hard now.
1: So I'm producer Tim and I'm filling his boots and standing in for him this week. Uh, But Big Jim and Goody are here as usual. How are you guys? I'm tired. It's
0: Monday and I'm tired already. How's that work? Weekend with the kids. I mean, just please eat your dinner and go to bed. That's what I'm saying. i have to eat their dinner for them, no doubt. Of course, mate. Um, bit run down. Mate,
2: changing seasons, isn't it? My glands are up like testicles. Um, my own testicles was pretty small, but they're up. And um, yeah, I had a busy week last week. I was in... Well, we had a live show at the Hippodrome. We might talk about that, which was pretty good. But that, that was on a Tuesday. Who's chopping pints on a Tuesday night responsibly? Me and you, Jim. Exactly. That's not a great start to the week. In Belfast... Basically, at Rugby Pass, we've d- done a bit of content with a company called Stat Sports, a GPS company, right? And part of that was they wanted to tell a story through content. <laughs> Get the best in the business to rock up then, so I'll rock up. 200 quid a day. <laughs> <laughs> it was me, Andrew Trimble, former Ireland and Ulster winger, and David Wallace, former Munster Ireland hero. And we were basically having to do different things, fitness-wise, up against three young spunkers from Ulster.
0: Absolute hell, that sounds
2: like. Mate, so 40-meter sprint, and I then mean, we...
0: I'd, I'd beat you at that. Uh, well, I've done like that already. True.
2: And we had to do like a two-minute shuttle. It was meant to be three minutes, but we cut it down to two. I'll beat you at that. i tell you now you wouldn't. So you, 22 back, um, try line back, 22 back full length of the pitch and back easy and go as far as you can basically records like records your gps or whatever the output but competitive gym you know being the kind of um elite athlete that here. i probably was here come the lies mate i'm not joking one meter away from this young spunker so after that i was absolutely fucked dave wallace wally i can call him that he when he played i cannot believe the nickel blow 42 43 yeah Good-looking bloke as well. Mm-hmm. You've got Trimble, legs literally like a monster. He struggled, mate. He blew up after about 20 metres. Oh, really? He was gone. But anyway, what I put myself through, the fitness, has sparked or spiked off uh, an
0: immune system failure. Always ill. I mean, it's a yeah. sign of weakness, isn't it? Yeah. Jimmy's always ill. It's If it's not his graves, it's his glands. Never talk about it, though. I just I get know. on with it. I'm just one of them guys that gets on with it, Goody. Yeah, it was a mad week last week.
1: You with? Matt Gitter as well this week, Jim.
2: I was, yeah, Gits. I'm mates with him now as well. Lovely bloke. And for me, without you know, sounding like a fanboy, although I probably was a little bit. You do these interviews, and again, fairly new to it. Only been retired two years, so now interviewee, interviewer. You're the interviewer. No, I'm the I'm the interviewer now. I so I used to be the interviewee,
0: right? Just make it up as you go along. So now
2: I'm the interviewer. The shoes on the other foot. Yes, yes. So bit more comfortable doing it now we've had some great people obviously Neil Back mentioned that before Sia Khaleesi was a little bit nervous before that one I mean, it was hot in Cape Town and Etzabeth was downstairs waiting for me to fill me in with his <laughs> brothers but Gitto is probably the best rugby player in fact in my eyes he's one of the best rugby players ever played rugby that's what I genuinely think small stacked though but he's not that he, stacked I reckon he could still go he could still go for Australia but he's, yeah, I can't believe how good he is. Anyway, a little bit nervous interviewing him. Just wanted to get it right. You know, Australians can be perceived as arrogant and whatever, but he weren't arrogant. He thought Australia would get knocked out in the pool stages. So did he really? No. Nah. Oh, damn. <laughs> he didn't think they'd win it. But yeah, good interview with Gitz last week. Nice. So that'll be on Rugby Pass soon on World Cup memories.
0: We had, a, it, we had a long day Thursday. I was at the cricket watching England uh, with uh, in the corporate hospitality. Of course I was. And then Thursday night we had a fundraiser for Hambo, didn't we? Oh, we did. Oh, I forgot about that. Yeah. I mean...
2: Wow. It's a busy period. A busy week. Mm-hmm. Busy period, you know, just getting the vitamin C. Uh, how are you taking the vitamin C? Um, Guinness. Suppository or not? Uh, in Guinness. I think it's in Guinness. <laughs> Is it? Okay, yeah, yeah, that's fine. Yeah. Yeah, I'm sure that's fine. Iron, what Iron
0: and Vit C. We
1: well, mentioned the uh, live show we had last week, uh, and there's a couple of more Rugby World Cup live shows coming your way together with Guinness, including one at Cafe on Sen in Dublin this Wednesday, the 18th of September.
2: And with that one, we've got James Lowe. He's up there. Uh, Yeah, he was quality, isn't he?
1: And then one in Flatiron Square in London on Thursday, the 26th of September. So just check out eventbrite.co.uk for details on both of those. And a big thanks to Guinness again for their support. And you mentioned the one we had last week. How'd it go? Good night?
2: Tuesday. Tuesday night. And it was a collaboration between Guinness, our good friends, and also Wolfpack in a casino called the Hippodrome in Piccadilly near Soho, so I've obviously walked past it a few times, and without pitching too much and pushing people in certain directions to go and drink responsibly at half eight in the morning, if you are wanting to watch rugby during the World Cup, the Hippodrome, how good was the screen down there? Yes, They show all the NFL games, so the screen, one of the biggest screens I've ever seen in my life, so it was good, good event. We had Chris Wiles and Alistair Hargreaves, I mean, zero stories between
1: them, so... (laughs) And we've got some new merchandise in the studio, haven't we?
2: I can see. It looks absolutely hideous. <laughs> I don't know whether that's because okay. it's on you, Tim.
0: I don't know. Or the front view that I've got. Great stash, that. Pod, pod, pod stash. Loving it. I'm going to I'm gonna wear a few of these around the house. We're
1: going to get some, some of your phrases on there as well, aren't we, Jim? Any, any you like?
2: Well, no, not really. No, because they, they weren't meant to be funny. And now they've turned out to be funny, which
0: obviously isn't funny, in my opinion. I mean, you were just trying to have serious conversation talking about dissecting something with an open cloth. Where does that shit come from? No idea.
1: It's going on a t-shirt. It's going on a
0: t-shirt, mate, for
2: people to buy if they actually think that that's something that would inspire the person looking at the t-shirt. Inspirational.
1: So if you're interested in that, 80.club, that's 80.club in words, forward slash the rugby pod, uh, go check out the stash. Sound. Only three more sleeps to go until the World Cup. Oh, whoa. we excited? Oh, it's like man. Christmas Eve, isn't it? Yeah, literally well, can't not re- wait. Not really.
0: I mean... Four more sleeps until the decent games. I mean, opening game, Japan against Russia. I mean, the Japanese have sorted that right out, haven't they? Smart. They dictate when they play the games, but I'm in Russia. Russia have got into the World Cup because I think it was Belgium, Romania, Spain, and Spain all played ineligible players, and they're getting hosed left, right, and centre. They've come through the back door. No better way to come through. <laughs> Is that how you, you roll at home, is it? The, well, just, yeah. Like you come through the back
2: door. It's obviously. I just go straight to the, the front start. door in my house. Yeah, man. but you get caught.
1: Caught doing what? Well, <laughs> I don't know, mate.
2: <laughs> you come to the back door. That's like, you know, the best way.
1: You mentioned Russia, Japan. Not particularly interested in that one. I am. Really? You are? Yeah, I've been,
2: well, I've been waiting for the World Cup for, for ages.
0: Mate, it's the Open. It's like the Olympics. You watch the opener. Huh? You're I'll not feeling it? Yeah, it be great to see the open ceremony. You're, I think you always want to like a decent big game in there. Why don't Japan play Scotland and get the upset out of the way? Oh, here he is.
1: So which game are you looking forward to most opening weekend?
0: Um, Well, there's two huge games, uh, really, in terms of dictating how the pool stages go. New Zealand, South Africa, both of those teams are coming out of the group, whichever way, but New Zealand are under a lot of pressure, I think, because people are looking at them as they had their biggest ever defeat to Australia a few weeks ago. Um, They've struggled against South Africa over the last couple of years. Um, And if South Africa lose that, it doesn't really matter, I don't think, because they'll just go through and and qualify, and then they'll be on the perceived easier half of the draw.
1: No team has won the World Cup having lost a pool game. Does that matter? Oh, mate, you bring it. You
0: absolutely
2: bring it. These are stats that Andy just doesn't bring. No, so no team's won it having lost their first game. Any pool game, James. Genuinely. No team's won the World Cup having lost any pool game whatsoever. I mean, you talk about big games. In my opinion, that will be a repeat of the final. A lot of people talking about New Zealand, and again, I don't. I'm one of those. Um, I've seen vulnerabilities in their team. I
0: think they've lost their aura of invincibility. uh, Which you know, you go back to the last couple of everyone 2015 World Cup. Everyone was like, New Zealand can rock up, play how they want, they'll still win. They were that much better than anyone else. Um, You know, it's interesting. Obviously, the South Africa game is the first one, and. They're the team that have really tested them the most over the last couple of years and had the most success beating them in New Zealand. Um, I know Ireland have beaten them a couple of times. But yeah, I mean, you're not looking at that squad as an opposition player and going, geez, I can't see how we're going to beat them. You know, South Africa will be very confident going to the game. And it's interesting, you know, it's a seismic shift going from Bowdoin-Barrett's been year 10 all the way through to the Rugby Championship just gone changing that and putting more anger there. So Jim's right, you know, you can see they're fallible. And yeah, I think the pressure's on them in the first game because of the expectation. But whoever loses, it, it's not the end of the world, is it? Because they just go into quarter final, probably against uh, Ireland or Scotland. And then semi final, off you go.
1: The other big game of the opening weekend Ireland, Scotland.
0: Yes. Come on, Ireland. Why, why are you supporting Ireland for? Well, because I'm. We're sponsored by Guinness, and I like Guinness, and Guinness is Irish. Okay, that's fine. Is that okay.
2: okay? That's the only reason, yeah, that's completely fine. And I'm
0: English, and we don't like the Scots, but anyway.
2: Mate, we just Facetime John Barkley. Oh, did. no, sorry, he Facetime us, actually. We were in Nando's, just eating, uh, basically, as you could imagine, copious amounts of carbohydrates. A salad. And uh, he Facetime us, uh, didn't he? Mm. So he said the conditions are not primed for Scottish or Irish-born um, individuals.
0: 45-degree heat, he's been training in.
1: Haven't they been... Training with shampoo and conditioner on the ball.
0: I mean, Hoggy, Hoggy doesn't need his shampoo or conditioner, does he? With the no. state of his lid these days. No. But yeah, I mean, listen, it's it's a huge game, and, and Jim, you're very confident, aren't you, about Scotland? And it's one of those weird things. The more time I spend with this clown, the more time I start to believe him. <laughs> mate,
2: there you and go. He, Like
0: his arguments for Scotland, he's
2: a manipulator. <laughs> There's also naturally with myself going to be a bit of biased-y. Is that the right word?
0: No, mate. That is not a word. No. Biased-y is not a word, no. Jim. Well, no,
2: beastie. Okay, be- beastie. Just a bit of beastie. Yeah. Just, yeah just a bit of beasting just a little bit of bias just a bit of beasting where i obviously watch the scotland team a lot so i know the players a little bit inside out i know them personally they're my friends and i want them to do well and then there's a reality part to it as well the fact that you look at how poorly they did in the six nations apart from it's coming home bringing the calcutta cut home apart from that second half which has saved a lot of people's bacons in that team, management-wise, I would have thought. save their bacons. And then I look at Ireland, and I just think that if there's any opportunity for Scotland to beat them, it's this game because of the pressure that Ireland are under. And yes, they've won three out of their four. They've beat Wales back-to-back. But you look at it in terms of their vulnerabilities. Sexton, for again, without labouring the point, how fit is he? Everyone's expecting Ireland to win. So, all the pressure's on them. You know, I think Scotland have now got players, and again, this might completely backfire on me. We will see. They've got players now that physically can stand up to Ireland's ball carriers. And that's where Ireland have beaten them, what is it, Do you say, seven times out of the last eight or nine?
0: Uh, no, uh, Scotland have only won one in the last seven against them.
2: There you go. So, everything's stacked, statted against Scotland. When St- you, eh? Yeah, statted. Yeah.
0: What words has he come out I'm trying to get mad. When you go on ITV at the weekend, don't use any of these words. I won't. Okay, I'll just nod. I'll just go, uh, Scotland will lose.
2: Line out as well. Scotland got a good line out with the players that they've got, albeit didn't function that well in the the warm-up test. Rory Best throw-ins under question. You know, the team culture. How's Klein been received behind closed doors? Stanley came out a couple of weeks ago saying that he himself, as well as the supporters or the media around it, he's not played very well. I just think they've lost a little... They've they peaked in 2018. Now, all the pressure's on them, and I might yeah, I might completely fuck this up and Ireland go out and put 40 on them. That could <laughs> well, hey, that, that could well happen. But if you're asking me my honest, honest opinion, I think Scotland will beat Ireland at the weekend. I mean, really? And speaking to Barkley, he said it's meant to be absolutely hosing it down. So actually, I might change my mind.
1: <laughs> I was going to say, is, uh, is that good for Scotland if it's hosing it down? No, Presumably not. They're absolutely unpredictable. Absolutely
0: not. Um, Finn Russell at 10... He wants a dry day and he can carve magic out of anything, can't he? If there is a weakness in Finn Russell's game, it's game management. And, and it's tempering that want and desire to go and try and run everything, try and play from everywhere, which when it comes off is phenomenal. But if it is hosing down Moraine and Sexton's at 10 for Ireland and Finn Russell is at 10 for Scotland, Ireland have a huge advantage um, in terms of knowledge and understanding how to win games like that. Um, yeah, it's going to be a very intriguing game. Scotland are. There's a lot of uh, positivity around the squad. Um, you know, the players that have got in the squad, how they finished Six Nations, how they played in these summer games, uh, apart from the absolute hosing to France. I can't wait for it, actually.
2: That, that, that's the biggest game of the weekend. New Zealand and South Africa, they're both qualifying, whether it's one or two. Scotland lose to Ireland at the weekend. Prussia. On a four-day turnaround, and they're going to have to wait until the very last game after playing Russia four days later. They then play Japan in Tokyo. You talk about a pressure game, that is going to be one of the most high-pressure games if Scotland lose to Ireland.
1: And just briefly before we move on, the headline team news this week, Henshaw, hamstring injury. Given the conditions, he presumably would have been quite an important player for Ireland.
0: Yeah, he would. But you've got Ringrose, you've got other options as well. Um, Listen, Henshaw for me gets in the Ireland team every day of the week. Um, And, you know, this is what's going to happen over the World Cup. You know, you're going to see injuries. You're going to see, um, you know, when you get to the latter stage as well, how important that is. Um, Ringrose is a quality operator, so it's not as if you're losing Sexton, and it's going to be hosing down, and you're asking someone to come in and play ten that you know perhaps hasn't got the game control. You've got an, another world class operator coming in in Ringrose, so um, yeah, it'd be interesting.
1: And the teams have been training out in Japan, and uh, Warren Gatland's come out and said he's been putting baby oil on the on the balls and.
0: On his ball? he's been putting baby oil on his balls. I mean, that's just so wrong, isn't
2: it? Well, why is it wrong?
0: Well, you can't talk about that in a press conference. True. What he does in his bedroom, in in his hotel, leave it there, Warren. Um, that's interesting. Obviously, the the Scots we mentioned earlier, didn't we? The Scots putting shampoo and conditioner on their balls. Try anything. Listen, <laughs> this weather, the typhoons are coming. You know, it's going to be absolutely humid as you like. I mean, I'm sweating an igloo, but. It's like you when you played in uh, Hong Kong for the Barbarians when you took sixty. Oh. Yeah,
2: that was pretty hot, but I don't know if the heat was everything. I think it was more the fact that we we drank responsibly for six days leading up to the game. But That was wet and sweaty as well. It as was very very difficult conditions. As speaking to John Barclay, forty five degree heat, I just wouldn't be able to cope. Big carcass like
0: this. I mean, all I know is Warren Warren Gatland puts. Uh, baby all on his balls at that age as well. Good on him.
1: Well, speaking of Wales and the Barbarians you mentioned there, uh, they're facing each other in Cardiff on Saturday the 30th of November with Warren Gatland handing over the reins as well. Head coach to Wayne Pivak after the World Cup. Uh, so the two of them will be coming face to face. It should be a cracking occasion in Cardiff and who knows it could be the Barbars against the world champions.
2: No Ooh. chance. <laughs> I'd li- I would like to see Wales win it actually. Don't see it happening, but what I do see happening is them playing against the Barbars, my team, <coughs> two-time tourist. To be fair, I'm How surprised. How the fuck did you ever play for the Barbars? I don't know, mate. Hey, the best players. This.
0: Mate, it's well, 15. No, they pick, they pick skillful. I mean, I didn't play for the Barbars because I wasn't quick, had no skills. And you weren't a good lad. I was just like <laughs> kicking chase, but off the field, amazing. You look at the way the Barbars play now. Imagine this clown playing for the Barbars. Di... You had hands like cow's tits, mate. Mate, die Young said I should have been the captain. Oh, I mean, there's deluded and then there's <laughs> just Jim.
2: Anyway, it should be a cracker.
1: Yeah, it'll be a celebration of rugby at the Principality Stadium with Wales women facing the Barbarians women first up as well as PVAC's first game in charge of Wales. Tickets start from as little as £10 and you can get them by visiting wru.wales forward slash rugbypod. That's wru.wales forward slash rugbypod. So go and check that out before it sells out. We mentioned some of the uh, big games early on in the World Cup earlier on and we've got a match pint predictor game going on during the tournament, haven't we?
2: Yes, we have. And I have joined the league. You're on there as well. I mean, I've joined it. I'm
0: basically going to win it, Jim. You've got no clue about rugby. Okay, well, first up, mate, I'm predicting Scotland beat Ireland. Well, obviously, I'm going Ireland-Scotland. Ireland will beat Scotland, James.
1: So, basically, what you have to do is download the app and tell us who's going to win each game and by how much. So, I'm going to go through a few of the games with you and uh, get your opinion. So, you mentioned it there. Ireland-Scotland. Give us a margin. Give us a winner.
0: Scotland by four. Absolutely dreaming. Ireland by 10.
1: The other one, New Zealand, South Africa. I mean, it could even be a draw.
0: New Zealand by 6.
2: South Africa by 3.
1: England's group, big game there. France, Argentina.
0: France by 10. France by 8.
1: And the biggest of all, after the opening ceremony, Japan, Russia.
0: Oh, Japan by By 100. I I shouldn't say that. Uh, Japan
2: by 35. Oh, I was going to say that uh japan by 33 (laughs) it could be more it could be more
1: well if you fancy pitting your wits against jim and goody just download the app by visiting www.matchpint.co.uk forward slash app or wherever you get your apps from and you can join the rugby pod league using the code rugby pod to play against them and win free pints of guinness and lots of other cool prizes too as many as seventeen thousand pints were won during the six nations so get involved Well, I think it's about time we got a guest on, isn't it? And we've got a man on the line who started the 2015 World Cup quarterfinal for Scotland, uh, but has sadly been forced to hang up his boots this week because of concussion. Dave Denton joins us. How are you?
3: Yeah, I'm all right, mate, all things considered. Not too bad.
2: Mate, of course. um, From a personal point of view, mate, we played a few games together um, and it's sad to see you've retired, especially the way that you have it. Are you only 29, are you? I'm right in saying that still?
3: Yeah, 29, mate
2: mate Claire Baldwin looks about 42 mate so it's fine mate okay then just talk us through it. I know you've had a bit of a shit time with it so let's just kind of talk about where it's all stemmed from uh, while you've been at Leicester
3: Yeah mate so it's obviously been pretty tough obviously I I only started at Tigers last season and I was uh, I was really excited coming here and my uh, career trajectory had really picked up again and I was really happy with where I was and then I was six games in I got a concussion at uh, Twickenham we're playing Northampton and uh yeah here I am 12 months later I haven't recovered from it which is it's just ludicrous it's um yeah it's been pretty tough dealing with that
0: and then just talk us through then obviously symptoms i mean you know that game uh was the rob horn game as well wasn't it um and yes. that's obviously the last game that you've ever played just talk us through you know people wouldn't perhaps understand the full symptoms of of a concussion it's you, you've had numerous concussions I know but how hard has it been to to try and battle through that
3: yeah, it's, it's tough. So, I mean, concussions show in different, different ways for different people. And I've played with a lot of people who can get completely knocked out and wake up the next day and have absolutely no symptoms. But as it so happens for me, I got what, what most would consider not a particularly huge knock. And I've, uh, my symptoms have stayed for a long time. So for me, how the symptoms manifest, I get, uh, quite a lot of visual disturbance. So I get either blurred vision or I get shimmery peripheral vision. Uh no, in fairness, over time, that, that has got better. It's not as bad as it has been. But then I still get, I, I feel quite lightheaded sometimes. I get a lot of pressure in the back of my head, you know, which is not enjoyable, to say the least, when you're 12 months in.
2: Of course, Denson. And how is that mentally? Because like you've been playing rugby a long time, Yeah, even when it was probably a little bit old school, if that's the right words in saying it, where maybe something like this a few years ago would have been perceived by the coaches as maybe being a bit soft, you know, just having to crack on. Mentally, how has that been for you? Because I know there's lads that have had concussion where they found it difficult because the symptoms are something that you cannot see and it's based on your symptoms personally.
3: Exactly, mate. So it it is tough, but luckily for me, the the stigma has completely changed. People don't see it that way anymore. And I mean, I I shudder to think of how it would have been if I'd been this way at the start of my career, particularly the, the way that rugby was then, but also my mindset at the time. I don't know if I would have been so sensible if I was younger. But for me, there there was never a question. I I would never have played uh, the way I've been feeling. Um, And Leicester have been fantastic the whole time. From As soon as it became clear that this injury was more serious than just a couple of week concussion, they've been awesome. They've... From from the get-go, I was assured that their main priority was my health. And it obviously wasn't the best season for us last year. So to hear that coming from them at that time, it meant a lot to me. And it just meant, like I said, I I wouldn't have played. But it's nice not to be getting that pressure from the lads. Not getting those sort of snarky comments when you're walking in. because You're right, it's not a visual thing. If I walked in in crutches and I'd ruptured my Achilles, everyone understands why you're not playing. But I was... I was walking into training every single day and I'm a positive person so I was generally walking in with a smile on my face and for people to understand why I'm out I can imagine it's quite challenging but I I never felt that through this injury I think everyone knows that we all want to be out there we all want to be playing particularly in a World Cup year for me, and uh, it just shows how the game's moved on, and it's it's fantastic from that point of view.
2: Well, I saw you walking into the uh, Leicester training building, and obviously didn't see anything wrong apart from that you were wearing a pair of rug boots, and I thought, what the fuck are those things on your feet?
3: <laughs> I know, mate. A few people have asked me if I've got any regrets in my career, and one of the, one of the only ones I've got is that all the, all the pictures of my last games of rugby, I've got a horrific long lid as well. So there's not a lot, but there's a couple of things like that that just stick to the mind.
0: Yeah, I'm sure you regret playing with Jim Hamilton as well because he was shit. But uh, anyway, um, <laughs> obviously, you said Leicester have been really good. Uh, anything from the RPA? I know they do a lot of work with the players as well. And uh, the SIU, have they been in touch?
3: Oh, man, honestly, I couldn't speak highly, highly enough about all three of those. So Leicester have been great, like I said. The RPA since... Like I said, from about six months in, I started realizing that this injury could become something really serious. I've been working really close with the RPA since then in terms with things. So the RPA helped me uh, get into Warwick Business School to do an MBA with them. And they've been helping me building CVs, meeting people, and with legal advice as well, because coming to the end of a contract, it's, you know, for a lot of us, we just don't understand how that side of the business works. Working closely with them has been massive. And then the SIU have, have been awesome in helping me with the sort of transitional phase. Like, like I said, I've only been retired a week, but I've been preparing for the worst case for the last couple of months, really, or the last month and a half anyway, just in case it went that way. And I've worked really closely with the commercial department, the SIU. Um, they've been helping me. I've been kind of working in the commercial side of rugby with them. But also they've been helping me meet various people and introing me to people who, who can really help. And I've been very humbled by how helpful the network that I've built over the years has been. And it's one of the massive positives of rugby as a sport is you do, I think in particular in rugby, you do get this incredible network of people.
2: Well, that's class, mate. We deserve that. You've given a lot to the game, so it's great that then, you know, the separate unions and the RP are helping out. What I was going to talk, talk to you about as well, it might be a little bit raw because you've just announced your retirement now, but there's a lot of talk around concussion and obviously world rugby changing the laws and we've got Ross Tucker on the show later just going to be talking about the subtle differences about that, but how is it for you when you look at it and you look at these changes because if i'm right and saying and this was just my superficial opinion dense but all the concussions i've seen or been involved in have been hip to head or head to hip you know however you want to look at it they're talking about reducing the, the tackle height is this something that you're thinking about that you're even interested in what are your thoughts on on the whole thing around the law changes
3: yeah, I've been thinking about that a lot over the last few days. And obviously, I knew a lot of people are going to be asking me about that as well. So I personally, I think at the moment, I think world rugby have done a lot of really positive things to stemming concussion. I think you're right. I think that in general, the majority of concussions are, are on the tackler. Uh, I think dropping the, dropping the tackle height slightly and making sure anything above the shoulders was significantly disciplined. I think that was a good step because that has eliminated as much as possible concussions for the ball carrier. But like you say, I think dropping it below the waist would be a mistake. I think if you've got split seconds to make a decision on the pitch and you've got two attackers running at you and you, like I say, you've got a split second to make a decision of who to tackle. If I've got a, an attacker on top of me and I've got to drop my height, half a meter, the likelihood of my head getting hit by something hard is much higher than if I can drop my shoulders into his chest so I think dropping it below the waist would be a bad idea.
0: Let's just look back on your career and uh, talk through some career highlights. Obviously, none of them were playing with Jim Hamilton.
3: Was there any dance, <laughs> dance, Was there any career highlights with me or not, mate? <laughs> Night-time, so we've haven't. had some great times together, mate. On and off the
0: pitch. Ma- mainly off, I think. But uh, just talk talk through, have you had a chance to look back on your career and, and feel proud of certain moments? Because you, you had a hell of a career, didn't you? Yeah,
3: mate. Like you say, I think that's the thing I've been trying to stress the most. It's... it's and obviously this is hard and it's a mindset thing for me, but it's important for me that I'm that I'm not dwelling on the fact of the things that I'm missing out on. It is, there's more things I wanted to achieve in my career, definitely, but that's just not going to happen for me anymore. So I'm trying my best to just look back and be proud of what I've done. And like you say, there's a few things that stand out for me. Obviously, my first start against England was a watershed moment in my career. It was the combination of years of hard work, and I've really... I guess that that was a career defining game for me and the mo- most people that I meet to this day, they remember me for that game. So for me, that was massive. And then the first game at the World Cup was incredible for me. I, I didn't realize how much of a big deal it would have, it was going to be for me playing, for, playing at a World Cup until you. Yeah, we were playing Japan at Kings I remember, and we we're walking out for the anthems at the start, and you got that World Cup music blasting in the background, and yeah, these are things that you dream about since you're you're ten years old. So, and then obviously the quarter final against Australia was pretty special Robbed. as well.
2: Robbed, mate. I would have called a two-step mob <laughs> anyway if it was me just letting you know.
3: <laughs> yeah, that, that, was, that was definitely tough to take, mate. But it was what an incredible experience it was, and uh, to be playing at Twickenham, effectively as the home team was was a very surreal experience and it was, yeah, very uh, very special.
2: And are you at the point where, I know Gregor Towns had mentioned that you'd have a look in on, on the squad and I know what it's like when you retire initially, you you don't necessarily want to watch too much rugby, but are you going to be watching the boys in Japan? Like, What are your thoughts on the, on the Scotland team or are you just going to take a bit of time away?
3: No, I'll be watching, mate. I'll be watching. I've, to be honest, that's what this year has been. I've not watched a lot of rugby in the past year. It's... It, Exactly as you say, it's tough, particularly when when it got to the Six Nations and I was kind of, like I keep saying, I was kind of starting to realise it was more serious than I thought. That's when I was finding it really tough to watch. Whereas for now, I I feel like the chap that chapter's closed for me. Don't get me wrong, it's not easy. I was at the Scotland-Georgia game on the weekend and that that was incredibly difficult, sitting up in the top tier of Murrayfield, uh, looking down at where where you think you should be at that time. But look, I, I want to watch and I think... Team at the moment, they've they've got a real good chance to do well at this World Cup, and you know I just want to support the boys.
1: And just just give us a view on the uh, on the back row of Scotland, then Dave. Where you think it's at, John Barkley, Hamish Watson. How good are they?
3: Mate, it's it's tough picking that back row is going to be really tough. I've been thinking a lot about it, particularly now. Also, Magnus has been called back up. I think he's depending on how Jamie Ritchie goes. I know he's struggling with a cheek or whatever. He's struggling with. There's so much competition in that back row. I. Uh, I mean I think Hamish is locked in. I think Hamish is a locked in starter. And then I mean you could be doing anything at six and eight. You've got some really quality players. There. So I think I think they've got a really good balance there. Personally, the the way the way I play rugby, I'd like to see a big ball carrier at either six or eight. I know Blade Thompson's a real strong carrier, but albeit very different very different to how I was per se. And he's got really good footwork and, and uh all that. But I think someone like Magnus as well could do really well for them. It's it's going to be interesting, Uh, but I think the way Greg has picked his squad, he's picked the squad that suits the game plan he wants to play. He's stuck to his guns. He wants to play the fastest rugby in the world. And that if you look at the background centres in particular, that's who he's picked. He's picked the players who are going to run all day, really skillful players, and they'll be hoping to run teams off their feet.
1: That's great. Thanks ever so much for joining us, Dave, and uh, good luck with the NBA and everything you, uh, you choose to do in future. Thanks. No problem, guys. Cheers,
3: Dance. Cheers, buddy. Mate,
2: we'll Cheers, meet up Dan. Mate, we'll meet up soon, mate. We can talk about how good we were, mate. We <laughs> <laughs> mate. Cheers.
0: Cheers, Dan. Thanks, buddy. Good, good lad. lad. Yeah, good lad. Good lad. Good lad. I mean, that's... It's funny, isn't it, when you... It's not funny, but it, you hear someone talk about that, and the best thing about that is hearing the support that he's had from the RPA, and especially Leicester. Leicester went through their worst ever season last year. He was a, a bit of a star signing, wasn't he? No pressure to play. Yeah, you know, it's all about the person. It's nice to hear that. And when you've got the S I U, and he's obviously very proactive in in looking and realizing how serious it was to future life. So um, yeah, you know, good things can come out of bad, bad situations.
2: Yeah, the thing is for me when I look at it, um, it just shows. Again, I was thinking about it, I was walking Bruce this morning. I don't walk too too far. He's thirteen. He's absolutely fucked at the minute, so that's fine. Walking around the block, and the news come out that he'd retired. And not that I'd forgotten about Dents, but. How quickly everything just moves on, doesn't it? If someone's injured, and it's just natural. You you move on. The World Cup's coming up. To me, it just underlined the vulnerability of playing rugby and how quickly it can be over. And a lot of people say to me, "What's it like to retire?" You get it. You know, you go to these dinners or whatever a million times. Oh, what are you doing now? Then, like, what are you up to? Like the, the same questions. How's transition been? You know, for me personally, 34, finished on my own terms. Double European champion guilty, (laughs) double premiership. (laughs) Two Um, two minutes. (laughs) And all these things. I look at someone like Dents in his prime and he, you know, we we called him Dildo Dave at the beginning because he couldn't catch a ball. By the end of it, he was an absolute monster. Mm. Do you know what I mean? He was was one of our best players. Like he wasn't, you know, he could carry the ball. Big South African Zimbabwean. I was going to say, where is he from in Scotland? Zimbabwe. (laughs) Yeah, the capital, mate. (laughs) Uh, The quaint village of Zimbabwe. Um, you're looking at the way that he plays. When you're that kind of player, you're like a superhero. Do you know what I mean? And my, not my worry, but over. You're a superhero. And then you're done. And, yeah, talk about all these things around mental health and whatever. To finish with concussion the way that Dent has... Is, must be fucking tough mm. at 29. Mm. Do you know what I mean? It just shows. Woke, woke up on the horizon. Exactly. Mm. Mate, it, it, it's not It's not easy. Like it, It's really not. And you, know, you talk about the highs and lows of sport. Dents will be fine because of the network that he's got around him. And hopefully, like he mentioned, he's got the support. But fucking hell, to finish at 29, do you know what I mean? Having played the way that he played, the excitement, the crowd are screaming every time you get the ball in your hands. It's tough, but you know, hats off to him. He's he's had a, a bloody good career. He has.
0: Um, just, i was just a bit upset he didn't unleash on Jim Hamilton. All he said good, he had mate. good times on the field with Jim. And lies. He, said, <laughs> he said great times. He said great times. What out and out He said great times.
1: We have heard from Dave Denton firsthand about the effects of concussion and we can have a chat with a man in the know on that side of things now about what World Rugby have been doing behind the scenes and how it might affect things at the World Cup as well. Science and Research Consultant for World Rugby Ross Tucker joins us. How are
4: you? Yeah, good. Thank you. How are you? yeah very good
2: very good mate yeah so i think it'd be good because i know we've had a bit of interaction on social media as you have with um a number of players and people involved in in rugby but um just just give us a kind of outline of your role with uh, with world rugby and how you got involved with that
4: sure thing uh, in 2015 i started i left the university of cape town where i was working to take up a position with world rugby and my mandate is to try and support decisions through research so whenever there is a player welfare or law change decision that needs to be made, World Rugby want to make it based on the best possible evidence. And I'm one of the people who's responsible for helping them with that evidence. And task number one, which we started with in February twenty fifteen, was to try to understand how concussions happen in the sport. Because only only once you understand how they happen can you design the strategy to prevent them. So Up to 2015, the big focus was on diagnosis and management with the HRA and the return to play. Post-2015, it was prevention. So we did a big study over the course of the next 12 months where we looked at 600-odd head injuries, 3,500 tackles that didn't cause head injury, and we tried to work out a spectrum of risk. In other words, you can visualize on the left-hand side all the circumstances around tackles that are low in risk, and on the right-hand side, what are the things that are more likely to cause the risk? And then once that was done, it was presented to a, a multidisciplinary working group, which consisted of coaches, players, referees, other officials in the sport, external people, and they suggested what needed to be changed, basically to try and move us from the right hand side, all that stuff that I said would be high in risk, to the left hand side, and tackle height and the body position of the tackler were two of the things over on the right. So. Upright tackles and high contact tackles were found to be high risk and we wanted to move them left through
2: law terms. Um, specifically on that as well, and again, I know there's a lot of detail and we had a little bit of interaction when the, the new tackle law was coming out about both tacklers potentially going low. My opinion back then, and again, I probably was one of them guys that, oh, I've played rugby so I know kind of more than the average Joe or, or, or know the, the people in the media, but statistically what what does it show ross does it show that the higher the tackler goes then the more risk that the 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 ball carrier and the tackler become in terms of uh a, a concussion happening
4: exactly that and it's not you know it's not surprising that people have sort of misunderstood that one of the reasons why you have to be systematic about understanding and measuring the risk is because otherwise we are quite easily led into thinking about the thing we see most commonly now the, the situation where the tackler's head hits the ball carrier's hip is the most common in rugby. It's the most common cause of head injuries. It's about 60-odd percent of all concussions happen that way. But that is not the same thing as saying it's more risky. The difference is something called exposure. So in other words, how often could it have happened? You know, the analogy I've begun using is if you counted accidents on the roads, there would be far, far, far more car accidents than motorbike accidents. But you wouldn't conclude that cars are more dangerous than motorbikes because the problem is that there are so few motorbikes in the first place. So obviously, there are more car accidents. And that's the same kind of thing that's in play in rugby. When the tackler is upright, per 100 upright tackles, the risk is 40% higher than when the tackler is bent at the waist, per 100 bent tackles. And similarly, when the contact is higher, so sternum or above, the risk is four times higher than when the tackle is below the sternum, per 100 tackles. So when you think about what what is then going to have to happen, you're going to have to try and swap A for B. You're going to say, do we want the tackler upright or bent? Because you can't have neither. (laughs) Otherwise, there's no tackle. So you can't just take one away. You have to replace it. And when you're replacing it, the only way you can do it properly is to ask which risk is higher. Is it the risk of going bent? we it the risk of being upright and all the data from the study we did the under 20 study that i did a small version of earlier this year and i've actually just finished looking at rugby leagues and it's the same thing all the data shows that per 100 tackles there is more risk for an upright tackler and a high contact tackle and that's why the agenda that the desire here is to get the player bent and lower
0: and then obviously you mentioned the under-20s before um, how do you think the various trials in the world uh, have gone
4: so the first thing that was done uh, which is which is what you alluded to earlier was the zero tolerance on high tackle was so to take current law applied more strictly and hopefully change the behavior that caused an increase in penalties and cards obviously but the problem with it was it created inconsistencies and so You'll recall the Cipriani red card, the Will Spencer red card, the Jerome Kainer yellow then seven-week ban. And there it felt like there was one a week. And so the high tackle sanction framework was then introduced to try and reduce the inconsistency. It will probably cause more cards, but that's something for the upcoming World Cup discussion perhaps. At the under-20s, the concussion rate is 50% lower in the two years since than in the four years before. The problem is that that's a really small tournament, and I'm, I'm not sure scientifically how much one can read into that. Globally, if we take Pro 14, Top 14, Premiership, and Heineken Cup, plus Super Rugby, Six Nations, and Championship, the, the global concussion rate is about 10 to 15% lower than it was in 2016 when these directives were implemented, end of 2016. So, so far, it looks like it's nudging the race down, but it's still too early to say for sure whether it's happened. But the early signs are encouraging.
2: And there's definitely going to take time in terms of the cultural shift as well. But I just wanted to get your opinion on something. Having been in these big meetings with with World Rugby and the powers that be, when I look at rugby clips or I go on YouTube or what, and search in rugby, the top of the the kind of charts, if you like, of, of visual videos are big hits. Do you think world rugby or, or the culture of rugby to keep it safer, that needs to change now? Because altering the tackle height and, and obviously going low will affect that because you look at some of the biggest hits, they come high. When you're in these discussions with world rugby, do they talk about these things that they want to take these big hits out of the game?
4: It's never been phrased as big hits. They want to take head contact out of the game. Mm. No one's ever gone to the point of saying there's a culture of big hits that we need to change. But I think you're right that it does need to <laughs> Perhaps it's unsaid in those meetings, but it's never it's never really been raised. I do think people realize that there is a culture that needs to be changed. In those meetings, the the notion of it's going soft is openly rejected uh, because, again, we have data on all injuries. Obviously, we're talking now about concussion, and we know all injuries. The rate is the same as it was six, seven years ago, and, and we know that the game is more physical than ever. You're getting retirement as a result of injuries at rates that we may not have seen before. So I think that issue is openly discussed and rejected, that the game is not going soft. But I think most lawmakers and most people in charge are looking for minimum change to cause maximum change, if that makes sense. And what's the what's the least we can change to the sport to get the largest possible change to the risk?
0: And then just looking for, further than in, into the changes, obviously the big change is the tackle height and everyone wants that to be reduced much lower. Um, You're always going to get challenged when you, when you change laws, you're always going to get challenged on uh, the ideas and and coaches are going to think of ways around it. Ultimately the offloading game uh, is something that's a a huge part of rugby. Do you think obviously by going lower um, teams will be able to offload better? So it'll make it a better spectacle Uh, because the hands will be free. There won't be that second guy coming in up top to block the offload. Or how do you see that?
4: I hope so. And since we, Since we introduced the directive, we've changed in our own analysis to count the number of offloads because we're hopeful that that will be one of the positive unintended consequences of doing it. So we're always mindful changing any law. But there's there's obviously you change it for the reasons you want to. But then you have to also be mindful what are the unintended consequences and are they good or bad? That's one of the ones that we're hoping is good. On the side of what might be bad is is the idea that now players have to put their heads down, look at the ground, eyes are no longer on the opponent because they feel they're being forced into a low position so we have to we have to probably address technique ultimately what we're trying to do is change the technique to make it safer that doesn't necessarily mean tackle really low it just means tackle so that you don't strike ahead either yours or the opponent
1: and ross a lot of the trials and data that you've mentioned so far have have all come from games um Concussions in training are a big big thing as well. So, Do you think there'll be pressure from World Rugby for teams to do less full contact training?
4: It's been discussed and there's now a load passport guideline and among the, I don't want to call them commandments of load, but that's what I just raised in some of the planning meetings. One of them was to make sure that you manage risk in training through, through management of contact. The big problem there is that no one else in the world other than the RFU and the premiership are able to get in there and measure that because they're... As you may know, their injury surveillance system is so advanced and so sophisticated that they can do things the rest of the world is still struggling to do in matches. So I know that the RFU have a big study that was commissioned to be done around training injuries in, in the next few years. They are the leaders in that regard. We'll, we'll be looking at that really, really closely. And then we're trying to work with all the other unions who are a little bit behind on the injury surveillance to do the same thing so that we can we can deliver that message in an evidence-based way. It might not be so simple as do less training and uh, less contact because then you might not be contact ready on the match. So you might reduce the risk on one end and find that it goes up on the other. So that's going to be a more complex thing. But in principle, Yes.
2: And then Ross, just lastly, obviously the World Cup is on the horizon, a few days away, um, and as we know, in a lot of the big games that we've seen in kind of recent months and over the last couple of years, the referees' influence has had a big impact on the outcome. Sometimes, do you see more red cards coming as a result of the subtle changes? Do you think most teams have bought in and they've they've adapted to these new laws? How do you see that unfolding uh, for the World Cup?
4: I hope that the tournament isn't affected by that, but I also understand that the you know, the new high tackle sanction framework, in theory, will result in more red cards because there's now a very clear, structured and systematic process. The ref asks three questions, head contact, degree of danger, mitigation. If he sees the first two and not the third, then that's a red card. So at the under-20s, there was, a, there was an increase in red cards from, I think, two to six. Based on the numbers from the under-20s, we would be looking at four to six. Whether that happens or not depends on the... Adjustments made by the team. So, what I really hope is that the teams and the coaches have thought about the technique. They've thought about how to avoid entering that framework, because realistically, the only way the referee ever has to assess those questions is when he sees direct head contact.
0: And the last one on it, you look at Barrett's red card for New Zealand, and then a couple of weeks later, Devon Toner. There was an instance that went around on social media where similar sort of thing, where he's shouldered uh, the Welsh guy in the head. People's frustrations are going to be with the consistency of what they perceive uh, to be a high tackle in a game or a dangerous tackle with head contact in a game, and then something coming up on social media where it looks very similar, uh, but nothing gets done. Yeah. How, how do you equate for the differences in, in people's perceived inconsistencies?
4: Yeah, that is always the problem, and I, I understand that. the The framework was developed, specifically to try and reduce inconsistency because I reckon that there is a time when if you showed 10 rests, 10 tackles, half of them would say yellow, half of them would say red, and well, maybe a third yellow, third red, and a third penalty. So the framework was introduced specifically to try and reduce that the problem now is that it's, it's drawn attention to itself. And so I think there's even more awareness than ever about inconsistencies. And we'll just have to write that out to some extent. But every foul play decision will be audited at the World Cup. And we'll try and get some sort of record of what the consistency is like. What I would say, though, to people there is that because the decision is now being made against a framework, as I said, three questions. If the referee on the field gives a yellow and your perception sitting at home is that it should have been a red, there should now be a way to trace the difference between you. In other words, he has to have said mitigation and you have to have said no mitigation. So I think there might be disagreements, but I hope that at least they are understandable disagreements because we'll be able to pinpoint exactly what this person sees different to me. To me, that's a, that's a strength of the framework. The problem is when incidents happen, and the other one was um, Kearney, Carney against, uh, Rob Carney against England, Yeah. Where it's not even picked up. And then you look at it and you're perplexed. So, what that really needs is for the post match sighting and the judicial to be really on it as well, so that none of those things slip through the cracks. I think most people would accept some disagreement, but not complete a mission. So, the, the JOs and the CCs will have to be really on it at the World Cup. And I hope that that doesn't become the story. It would be a real shame if it did.
1: That's great. Thanks ever so much, Ross. Great to get your uh, insight. And we um, look forward to seeing how it all pans out
4: at the World Cup. Yeah, me too. Thanks very much. Cheers, Ross. Thanks, Appreciate
2: that, mate. Thank you. Good man. Yeah, mate, for me, again, some of the listeners might find that boring. They might not. They might find it intriguing. I think the thing is, for me, me and Ross went back on social media. I was that guy who 100% wasn't saying the game was going soft, by the way, was questioning the new laws. And it was a while ago I put a tweet out. And based on my professional understanding and having been on a pitch many a time being concussed myself watching guys get absolutely starched knocked out cold training all these things even my opinion now and it was great that ross answered the question that said it was a 60 40 split in terms of high tackles um in terms of tackling being high colliding with the ball carrier head-on-head collisions were more resulting in concussion than lower tackles all the concussions that I've seen, maybe not all of them, the majority of them, Dave Denton's concussion was head on hip. I've mentioned it before. Al Hargreaves, um, Saracen's captain, he got starched two or three times and he was a textbook tackler. All of them were on the hip. My knockout years ago where I was stone cold on You got oxygen, knocked out? Yeah, I got knocked out no, against no, Munster. No, yeah, no, no one's, man, one's was, ever knocked I, you out. I was as shocked as you are, mate. Um, <laughs> was against Munster, was head on hip. So, you bent over and got down to someone's hips. Yeah, I stopped doing it after that. That's why I started <laughs> hitting him with my tits. And so I'm going, based, I'm not just a throwaway comment saying, oh, you know, we shouldn't be going lower head on head. I'm going based on my perspective on things, on what I've seen and what I've been a part of. There's also another part of me as well. You know, JJ's eight now. If he's good, I might take him out of the house. Who's JJ? <laughs> exactly. Your favourite son? My favourite. You know, he wants to play a bit of rugby. He's contact now and. You know, I follow a guy on social media called uh, Peter Robinson. Now, Peter Robinson lost his son, Ben Robinson, after he was concussed in a rugby game, and I think he carried on playing, and he uh, resulted in dying. I mean, I look at his story, and it doesn't get much worse. Like, for me, it's like the most harrowing thing that could happen is to to lose a child. So once I heard about his story, looked a little bit more into it, and understanding that my kids will probably want to follow in their father's footsteps to greatness and become a, an international legend. Joe said his English. <laughs> um is I want to make sure the game's safe. Rugby is a contact sport and I'm telling you now I've played in games in the past where I haven't given a shit about my welfare. Not at all. Mm-hmm. And we've spoken about it before, you know, whatever, ha- you know, you carry the ball, you get tackled, you get concussed. Maybe ten times, you know, in terms of myself, in terms of degrees, once been sparcoed out all the way down to seeing stars and probably just a little bit concussed. Like I think that looking back now, yeah, there was a bravery aspect to it. Fucking crazy, what was I doing? See Do you know what I mean? You look at it now, and you look at what Dents is going through, you know, with it, with his head knocks and all these other guys. So I'm all for player safety and guys like Ross are at the front and they have naturally oh Ross how many games of rugby have you played have you played international rugby have you played at the world cup it doesn't matter so for me what of course there's an element of you know toughen up and you know get on with it that people are always going to say that but I genuinely and that's why I pushed to get him on because I I want to see the game safer
1: well what Ross was saying was that world rugby are looking for players to adapt their tackle technique and You've mentioned Goody, Owen Farrell before in the past. I think John Mitchell said this week that he has been working on adapting his tackle technique since the autumn in the Six Nations. So I don't know if we've seen any evidence of that yet or whether we will at the World Cup. But.
0: Yeah, um, I haven't seen any actual evidence. Obviously, everyone's talking about lowering their sights and stuff. Owen Farrell, and we said it last year, You know, that's a yellow card, the tackle uh, against South Africa. There was one a week later as well. He, he's an intelligent rugby player. He knows that he's going to get away with some. He has got away with some, but... You're going to be in the spotlight. The World Cup, every player is going to be in the spotlight. So especially with the research that's gone on, how much they're going to crack down on it. Um, if you don't change, you're only going to get sent off. But it's going to be interesting. I, I've just got a feeling that something big is going to happen. And you know, Ross said then he, they don't want something big to happen at the World Cup to be controversial. But this is where we're at in world rugby. This is where we're at with the laws, player welfare, player safety. And Jim's right. Just hope it's not something that dictates a you know a result of a game.
1: Well, speaking of Farrell, he's spoken on Rugby Pass this week about acclimatizing since the squad arrived in Japan and what they've been up to away from the training pitch.
5: No, it's been brilliant. Um, obviously, getting over the jet lag, lads. Lads have done well there, and, and they've enjoyed. They've enjoyed getting out and and seeing Miyazaki a bit. We've been to we've been to a couple of schools, uh, seen uh, tea ceremony, yeah, and kudo type of archery. So. Um, we we uh, the lads the lads enjoyed that and uh, they've been they've been getting out and, and seeing Miyazaki and, and they've they've loved it so far. Obviously, it's humid. Um, it's we've not we've not trained too much in it yet, but we've done a lot of preparation uh, in in Treviso in Italy, which was which was also very humid and and feel like we have built up a a decent base before coming to Japan. And now we're excited about about training here and, and preparing to play our first test.
1: Do you too fancy a bit of a tea ceremony and some some archery. What's the best activity you've done well on a on a tour overseas?
2: Well, all I should say is Farrell sounds like he was absolutely loving it, right,
0: right down his street. I mean, archery and a tea ceremony. I mean, why do you want to drink tea when it's like forty five degrees? Imagine the sweat drinking a hot tea. Um, yeah, it's that balance, isn't it? You know, you, you've got events going on. You you know, you acclimatizing to the time zones, the food. They're all out having coffee and and. Sushi and all this stuff. It's all but,
4: happy
2: now. It's all happy oh now. Oh yeah.
0: Well, it's it's easy for England at the minute because we're playing our first two games Tonga and USA are the perceived easy ones. But that ramps up. Um, Eddie loses Ed. Who knows what's going to happen? Just got to get better though. Get better week on week on week on week till we get to final, and then we're going to smash it. Owen Farrell. <laughs>
1: And speaking about it being in Japan, Jim. Yes. You're excited about it being there, aren't you? Oh,
2: I tell you what, I am absolutely buzzing, and that's not smelling buzzing. You you do smell a bit, though. Do I smell? I'm buzzing. Always.
1: And you've got a new feature for us. You're going from big gym to sumo gym?
2: Yes, the Japanese, as we know, are big on their proverbs and wisdom, of course. You know, anything that you hear coming out of Japan is generally wise, and a bit like me, they're intelligent people. So I'm just going to try and talk you through one or two each week during the tournament. I'm going to enlighten you on what they mean and make you feel like you're there, in Japan, on the ground. So what are we calling this? We, what's this segment called now? Well, Through the Eyes of Jim in Japan. Oh, so thing for it. What? Jim's Japs' eye. Jim's Japs' Jim's Jap's I. I. Jim's, <laughs> Jap's <laughs> Jim's Japanese eye. Japan through Jim's eye. Japan through, through Jim's eye. Also known as Jim's, Jim's Japs' I. I. So
1: you've got a proverb for us?
2: Yes, I've got a proverb. I've no idea what it means, but I just read that what a proverb is. It's like a saying. Just a just... saying, yeah. It's just a saying. So why don't you say it? It's a saying instead of a, a pro- of proverb.
0: What do you mean proverb? Proverb. <laughs>
2: anyway, so we looked at a few, but I've picked out my best.
1: Is it in Japanese or is it in English?
2: So I'm going to do it in English first, so everyone will know, all the, the millions of listeners out there. And then what I'll do is I'll play the recording of what it is in Japanese so everyone we can all learn it together. So when
0: we think and pretend that we're in Japan... We can say it.
1: And anyone out in Japan can impress.
0: Yes. Anyone. Walk down the street just saying, this is Jim's Japsai. This is what he's saying. Boom.
2: So my first one that you need to scream down the street is sheep head dog meat, which translates to this in Japanese. (laughs) So basically, if you scream that down the street, you are screaming sheep head dog meat. What does that mean? What do you mean? It's a sheep's head dog meat. So basically, if there's a sheep's head there, it's the same as eating dog meat or you feed it to your dog. <laughs> so I've got another one.
1: And Do we know what that means?
2: Yeah, I, mean, I just said to you. If there's a sheep's head, there's
0: apparently there's some dog meat.
2: Yeah, in so, <laughs> a, so if you see a sheep's head on the floor, you're like, oh, there's dog food there. So it's like when you're walking past a pet store. You're like, right, I'm going yeah. in. I can see something in the in the window. Wayne Wright's dog food or kitty cat's cat food, Andy Rowe. No, if you see a sheep's head in the road in Japan, you're you immediately like, well, there you go, there's some dog meat.
1: I think it means false advertising.
2: What? Yeah, it
0: is. <laughs> it's 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 literally, so you hang a sheep's head, but you're selling dog meat. I've got another one. Even monkeys fall from the trees.
2: Now, let's see what that translates to.
1: What does so, that
2: mean? Well, it means even monkeys fall from the tree. That's what it means. So it's literal. I, it must be. So Any- even, even monkeys fall from the trees. How, why would they say that? phenomenon so when Scotland win the World Cup then they will say even monkeys fall from the trees even have I nailed that or not I think it means everyone makes mistakes so maybe that's what
0: Gregor Townsend will say good Saturday morning even monkeys fall from the trees
2: Saturday morning even monkeys fall from the trees you see a sheep's head in the road give it to your dog bad advertising sheep's head dog meat very bad advertising It's basically cheating and telling lies. So, we're going to hand out two of them a week. So, you're welcome to the millions of people listening. Even if you were in Japan, you are now multilingual. Multilingual, I mean... Bilingual, sorry. Bilingual. Lingual. 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 Lingual.
1: Lingual. More of the same coming next week.
2: We'll see. We'll see how it goes down. So, Japan through Jim's Eye.
1: Should we do some social media questions? Oh, please. Darren Moore has asked you to pick a hell of a bush 15.
2: No, why would we do that? Why
0: is he being rude for? What's wrong with having uh, no manscaping? Number eight, Martin Cory, Captain Done. You can't, biggest bush. No, no, no. You have to name Biggest bush I've ever seen. Uh name it back. Martin Corrie had the biggest bush I've ever seen.
2: <laughs> as in, if you didn't sh- if you didn't shave it, you'd say you've got a coser. So look at your coser today. Um back, uh Max Evans. No, that Purp- upsets no, me. No, he did it on purpose though. He said it, it it was more natural French. I'm as shocked as you.
0: I expected him to be vetoed
2: yeah. within the interview lo- yeah. a lot of his as life, you. But- I'm as shocked as you,
1: mate. Well, wow, Max Evans. A couple more social media questions yeah, yeah why not far away Key and Leahy, which Six Nations team do you think will go the furthest in the World Cup and I'm not sure this is related also lamb donna or chicken shawarma kebab
2: so I'm going to say England I'm going to say Alsatian <laughs> you're going to say England are going the furthest in the World Cup and no, I'm going to say Alsatian kebab okay I'm going to say England out of all the home nations yeah but you so you're, you're going to turn now you're going to be an England
0: fan aren't you? I'm a quarter English mate England, turn by by. Uh, England and a, uh, a lamb donna
1: Chris Galloway uh, for Big Jim. Assuming Scotland get through the groups, who would you rather play in the quarters? South Africans or the Kiwis?
2: I mean, either way, we're fucked. (laughs) fucked. So I would say South Africa's because we've beaten them. Even though I think South Africa are going to win it, New Zealand, for whatever reason, the game plan that they have, the way in which they play rugby, Scotland cannot beat South Africa. Front up physically, Scotland would have a minuscule chance. IMO.
1: Opposite end of the spectrum. You mentioned the opening game of the tournament. Ross Garvey says, "Is this Russian side the worst?" Yes. <laughs> uh,
0: I don't know. It's. We'll find out. We'll find out how bad they're going to be. I mean, we said it earlier. They've got in through a triple back door or something, haven't they? Uh, with Spain, Romania, and Belgium, or. Will- Field in ineligible players. Belgium. Um, that's how it's out Belgium. The Portuguese Belgium. took 100, was it, in the 2007 World Cup? Ivory Coast had been in there before. I you? mean, yeah, listen, it's great for sides to get there. But as Jim said before, actually, when you look at it now, the disparity between Tier 1 and Tier 2 nations is growing. Um, with the onset of professionalism and everything that's going on, there's not enough done to help bring up those Tier 2 nations um, to a, a level... And, you know, you get to a point where we're not talking football, we're talking rugby. It can become dangerous, can't it?
2: They're they're just lucky. I mean, I say that. I mean, you saw what New Zealand did to Tonga. What was it, 92-7? Something like that? I mean, you just think. Who takes 90? Who takes 90 now? And I love Tonga. Imagine Russia playing against New Zealand. Could you imagine?
0: Well, imagine the movie in Canada.
2: Yeah. I mean, it's not going
0: to be the same level, but yeah.
2: Well, no, because a lot of the Canadians are fully professional.
0: All I'm saying is don't put 100 on Russia because you don't fuck with the Russians. Mate, that's what I mean. I don't want to say anything bad about Russia.
2: I I am going to peel back my answer and say that no, they fully deserve their (laughs) chance there. And I would love to go to Russia one day. And Vladimir Putin, I like you. Don't shoot me.
1: Well, if you've got any more questions for these two, you can catch them at a few of the World Cup lunches that Guinness are hosting over the next six weeks or so at Brigadiers in London. The like to Ben Foden, Ed Jackson, Nick Easter and a few others are joining you there, aren't they? Um, so just check out brigadierslondon.com forward slash Rugby World Cup if you fancy adding along to one of those. Right, let's finish off with the good, the bad and the ugly, shall we? Yes, let's. Yeah, yeah, let's go. It's brought to you this week by the Telegraph Sports Subscription. Go and check out telegraph.co.uk forward slash the Rugby Pod for quality analysis and insight on this year's World Cup in Japan from the likes of Sarian McGeeken, Danny Cipriani, Will Greenwood and more. Rugby Pod listeners can get a month free and then a further three months half price at just 50p a week. You'll get unlimited access to all their sports coverage insight and analysis. So make sure you're in the know with The Rugby Pod and The Telegraph. And just head to telegraph.co.uk forward slash The Rugby Pod to get your 30-day free trial and three months half price.
2: Get it? In the know? I know. But I don't know. You know nothing. I know nothing. You're right. I know that.
0: The good. Well, there wasn't masses of rugby this weekend, was there? No, there weren't. A little bit in France. A little bit of sevens. All we'll start in France with good. Uh Poe. Poe? Old... <laughs> exactly. Poe have been... Pooh. But they're not Pooh at the minute, James. They're back to being Pooh. Yes. Oh. Uh, they won away at Clermont 37-28 in the top 14. That was pretty good. Um, Lyon, absolutely spanked breathe by 50. Uh, Bordeaux spanked Stade Francais 52-3 as well. Wow, Stade are struggling, uh, eh? Yeah, they are. So Lyon and Bordeaux, uh, 4 from 4 in the top 14. Um, not a lot of other good stuff this weekend. Apart from 15,000 people turning up to watch Wales train on Monday. That was pretty good. Yeah, I saw the cues. I mean, the Japanese absolutely love it. You, you talk about seeing some of the social media stuff. These boys are going to be treated like absolute gods at the World Cup. And you have to be able to react to it and not let it go to your head. So credit to the Japanese public. 15,000 people turning up to watch Warren Gatlin put baby all on his balls at training. I mean, that is phenomenal. It's great. Fair play to them. But the good this week, um, the dynasty continues. The Saracens dynasty. They won the Premiership. Yes, They we won did. the Champions Cup. Guilty. They won the A-League. Yes, I oh, know. I didn't play. And they've just totaled it all up with uh, this weekend winning the Premiership Sevens title. Of course we have. A stunning performance bomb. Their Sevens team, uh, they beat Wasp in the final. That hurts. But what a club. You can't fault them. Nothing to do with the wage cap there, Saracens. You get the goo this week for winning the Premiership Sevens. yes. Uh, the bad, uh, we mentioned them earlier, we'll go over to France. Uh, Stade Francais getting absolutely hosed, 52 points to three at Bordeaux. Uh, that's a third defeat in four games. Um, what else was bad? Toulouse, the champions of France. Their third defeat in four games, losing at La Rochelle, which is always a tough place to go, but they won't be happy with their start to the season. The only bad thing I could find this week, really, though, gents, George Mouala. What a player. Breaks through. Under the sticks. Oh, I saw it. Drops it over the line. What are you doing, son? Just put it down. I thought he got clipped by the post. Or he clipped the post. Well, just put it down, son. Dive. Do something. He's tried to shift it from his left hand to his right hand, and he's dropped it in the process. So, uh, the bad this week goes to George Muala uh, for dropping the ball over the try line in defeat to Poe. (laughs) Poe. There we go. Not much ugly going around this weekend, apart from we've had the big discussion on Uh, concussion Uh, so really bad to see Uh, a couple of players really affected with it again Luke Jacobson his concussion uh, and subsequent withdrawal from the Rugby World Cup Uh, that wasn't very nice and of course we spoke to him earlier the man David Denton uh, becoming the latest player to be forced into a retirement by concussion so prevalent at the minute in terms of world rugby the laws what's going on around player welfare so really sad state of affairs to see Dave Denton retire wish him all the best but unfortunately this week the ugly goes to concussion concussion
1: thanks Kudie. thanks jim and thanks to all of you for listening as well don't forget to subscribe follow us on twitter review us on itunes and check out our super fun subscription service at patreon.com forward slash the rugby pod rugby pod 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 pod